our text is John chapter 11, and, uh, and again, it really is a pleasure to be with you tonight. Um, John chapter 11, we're going to be reading the first six verses out of that chapter, and um, this chapter of scripture is, is such an insightful and such an important, such an important text. It's important for when the day of trouble arrives. Maybe some of us come in here in the day of trouble. You're in the day of trouble. Um, this chapter is very important as we face a great enemy, death. Um, this is a chapter that we must have in our arsenal. We must be able to come back and meditate on, um, especially in, in the darkness of life. Um, and so we're going to just have time just to point out a few things from this great chapter of Scripture. And, uh, and our focus will just simply be on the first six verses. And so, uh, again, this is, this is John chapter 11. This is God's Word. Let's pay careful attention as we read it. Now, a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom, lo- he whom lo- you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, by the way, in verse 4, we must ask ourselves, who is Jesus telling that to? Um, I, it doesn't say explicitly, but it's an important question. Um, back, back to verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, or therefore, because of this love that he has for them, when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then just look ahead to verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Um, In order to get the weight of this text, I think it's important for us to try our best to put ourselves in the position of Mary and Martha. And I think for some of us in this room, uh, that's not too difficult to do. Uh, it's, It's a very real thing for you tonight. But for Mary and Martha, the day of trouble has come. Their world is Their world is falling apart. Their little brother, the one whom they have such a close relationship, whom they love, is greatly ill. And they are uh, friends, Mary and Martha are great, good friends with Jesus. They love Jesus, and they're confident that Jesus loves them. Um, Very confident in that, knowing that, but but Martha and Mary, they they believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, if you don't. No, that, that's, that's very much evident in verse 27 of this chapter when Jesus is talking to Martha about being the resurrection and the life. And Martha says, yes, I believe. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God. And, um, and with this, this, this situation with the illness of their brother who is deathly ill, they're so troubled. They know that their only hope is to send for their good friend, the Christ, the Son of God, the one whom they love and the one who loves them, they need to send a message to Jesus. And um, 
And so that's what they do. The servants go out. It's about a day's journey. And they give Jesus this report in verse 3. Lord, the, he whom you love is ill. This is serious. This is urgent. And the, the whole chapter, if you're looking at the big idea, the lens to, through which to interpret the entire chapter of John 11, verse 4 is key in my opinion. It's the key. You have to have that always present in your mind as you're reading through John, the rest of the, the narrative. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, who is that said to? Like, some people are like, well, that's the disciples. And it seems logical to me that that's the response to the servants. The disciples overhear. Jesus intentionally allows them to overhear. But this is a message given to the servants. And, and so, so the servants come. They give them the message. Jesus gives them this message. This won't end in death. It's for the glory of God. And, uh, and sends the servants on their way. But this is what's just so fascinating to me about this text. Jesus doesn't go with them. He doesn't go. Um, and, and my mind can't help but think about Mary and Martha. As is, 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 is moments and minutes probably feel like hours and hours feel like days. And, and, and they're sitting there waiting, looking out the window, wondering as minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day goes by. And, 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 and they're just wondering and expecting Jesus to come to show up and to make it all better. And, and they're waiting and waiting, and waiting <laughs> for two days. Um, and then they see the servants return. You can see them rush out to them, expecting to see their good friend, the one whom they love, and the one who loves them with them, only to find that Jesus is not present. And all they have to hang on is verse 4. That's it. That's all they got. I mean, <laughs> I don't think they could help but start wondering and asking themselves questions like, well, did Jesus actually hear the urgency of the message? Like, sir, sir, like did y'all tell him the right message? Did he hear the urgency? Did he know the seriousness of the situation? Um, okay, well, maybe we're not as good friends as I thought we were. Maybe he doesn't love us like I thought he did. You start questioning the character about Jesus. You start questioning about, maybe you start examining yourself. Maybe, maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I offended him. Maybe I'm being taught a, this, this, a, a terrible lesson. There's just got to be floods and floods of questions. Does Jesus even care? And for days, as their brother is now rotting in a tomb, all they have to hang on is verse 4. That's it. Um... And, I, and, and, and when, you, when you think about this, and again, being on a, on a staff like this, the size of this church, as long as I have, uh, you, you know stories. And by the way, I have a, just a small group of volunteer leaders back who serve with me, and, and I could sit here and tell you about presently how much pain is just within a small group of, of men and women just serving in senior high right now. I, I could take the rest of the night and then some to tell you story upon story about the pain that's going on within our st with our students right now. Questions that are unanswered, family members that are hurting, family members that are sick, injuries that have happened, parents that don't get along, families that are splitting apart, and there's silence. There's no, there's no real answer. Where's the aid? Where's the help? 
and, and I do know some of the stories that are here as I look, as I just scan the room, I, I, I know stories. That's part of the whole life together. We, we kind of know each other's stories, at least part of them. And I know about family members that have grown, gotten sick and have stayed sick. I know about marriages that have fallen apart. I know about wives that are in a loveless marriage and husbands that are under the that, that are just almost abused by an angry wife. I know about single pe- people that are longing to be married and don't understand why God won't provide a good gift while all their other friends have that. I, I know stories of, of, of young couples waiting and patiently waiting and, and, and months turn into years as they're hoping for a child and all they find themselves is going to gender reveal parties. We can talk about whether I like those or not later. You know stories. And there's not been two days of delay in aid. There's been weeks and months and years, and for some of us in here, even decades. And the reason why I love John chapter 11 so much is because it gives us another perspective, a more lofty perspective, a divine perspective. You see, left to just my own perspective without this revelation, I'm left to look at my circumstances and and try to think about, okay, what about God's love? What about God's power? Something's missing here. But because John chapter 11 has been given to us, we see a different perspective, a higher perspective, a loftier perspective, a divine perspective. And, uh, and that's what I want to talk about in three points tonight. The divine perspective of delays. And, uh, and I know that, is there such thing as a message without three points? I don't, I don't know. But delays, the three points that are coming at you is that these delays are out of love, they're purposeful, and they are packaged with promises. Delays are out of love, pur- purposeful, and packaged with promises. That's what we're going to do with the rest of our time tonight. So first, th- first thing about this divine perspective of delays or on delays is they are out of love. And we see that very clear in verses 5 and 6. I love this. It, it, it's, just, it's just, no matter how many times you read it, it just, it just, it's still shocking. Now Jesus, this, John wants us to know without beyond a shadow of a doubt how Jesus feels about this family. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, or therefore, Because of this love, when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed. He stayed two days longer. It's so counterintuitive. Um, uh, (laughs) When I was, I think I was dating Jenna, my wife now of six years. Um, When I was dating Jenna, I was on staff here. We can talk about the wisdom of Grace of Anne hiring me at 24 as a single man. Like, you know, like, (laughs) um, I'm thankful for that opportunity. But, um. Quickly, I was, I, I, here comes this volunteer leader, and try not to be pr- too creepy, but I'm like, hmm. Anyway, we start dating, and, um, and I remember, I, it, it was, I knew that this was a, a place in the relationship where I knew I was going to marry her, and I think she was confident about that, uh, that she was going to marry me as well, and, and I remember I got a phone call as I was heading to work one day, and, uh, and Jenna called me just to let me know, hey, I, I, I've been in a car accident, I'm at, a, I'm at the hospital. 
Um, and, I, and, so, and so, what was the response? You know, if, if I was to hang up the phone and be like, well, thank you. Glad to know that. Um, but I got to return some emails at the office right now. Need to do some sermon prep. Wednesday night's coming. Um, I just wondered, as, you know, her mom and dad were there, and, and that, by the way, Steve and I have talked about that, kind of maybe almost a, a passing of the torch moments. Um, but, uh, but if I didn't show up, <laughs> like, like, I could see, like, Steve and Carol being like, um, I want to move on. But for me, it was like, I, I don't even know what the policy here at Grace of Anne when it comes to girlfriends and car accidents, but it didn't matter to me. It just didn't matter. Like, like, we'll figure out policies and repercussions later. I'm, I'm calling break, and I'm on my way to the hospital. Because what love looks like is I act, and I respond, and I go. Jenna would not help but interpret indifference and lack of love if I said, nah, I'm actually not going to do anything about this right now. But we have to, we must, and this is something that's very simple, but we always must understand this. There is a vast difference, an infinite difference between humanity and deity. An infinite gap between humanity and deity. And the reality is God's ways are simply not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. They are infinitely higher, infinitely greater. And God is the definition of love. He defines love. He is love. And therefore, I cannot say, and, I, and, it's, and, it's, and it's the pride of arrogant man to sit here and say, God, if you were loving, you would do fill in the blank. God, if you were loving, you would respond right now in this kind of way. That's the arrogance of man. No, the response, the proper response of a child of God is knowing, God, you are loving. Therefore, let me interpret my circumstances through that lens. We must remember that I, that, that, that I interpret delays in light of the love of God, not vice versa. I do not interpret interpret God's love through these delays. I can't look at my circumstances and, and, and be like, okay, well, this must mean this about God's character and God's love. The first point is a powerful point, and it cannot be overlooked. For those who have been praying and asking and waiting, the delay is love. Delays are also purposeful. In verse 4, we see that through all of this, it's for the glory of God and that the Son of God might be glorified. But it would, would it not make sense, Jesus being the good shepherd, which he just talked about, the chapter before this, oops, sorry, yes, the chapter before this, would it not make sense that Jesus has something that's, that he sees as there's something much more important for Martha and Mary than comfort and ease? Um, if their comfort and, and their health and if that was the most important thing, Jesus would all he had to do is speak a word. I remember as a, as a child, um, I was convinced that chips and cookies were the best things for me and my parents were wise enough to know that, that, that there was something more important that maybe didn't taste as good. And uh, as Christians, 
our souls need so much more than ease and comfort and prosperity. God is too good of a father. He is too loving to just simply fatten up our souls on ease, comfort, and prosperity. My faith needs to be strengthened. I need to be shaped in the image of God. Is not the increase of faith and the refining of my faith, is that not more important to my soul than, than a comfortable, cushy life? And my faith is increased and refined, and I become more like Christ in the delay. There's many texts you can, you can write down when it comes to this stuff that cross-references to this point, but, but just one is James 1, verse 2, when it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. An anchored, an anchored faith, a rock-solid, deep-rooted faith is the result of the trials and the waiting and the delays. And let that steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, a common thread I've heard from, from saints at this church who have endured years, years of suffering and waiting, is they say, you know what? This is hard. But my faith is so real. <laughs> Like, it's almost been affirmed and confirmed. Like, I, the faith that was given as a gift to me, is, it's, it's real. It's evident. I know it. I see it. God is real. God is doing something in the delay that's very purposeful. Not easy, but purposeful. And here's the last point, and I think uh, it's significant. That these delays, especially for those of us who are in them, they're packaged with promises. And that's why I tell you that, that who Jesus tells this, this verse 4 to is very, very important. Because he, I, my, my opinion, he gives this word to the servants. And I think it's confirmed. Now, again, this is going to be highly debated, open hand, what we're talking about right now. But if you flipped over to verse 40, when Jesus is now like about to, you know, he's like, take away the stone, the, 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 the stone, the big moment's going to happen. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Uh, take away the stone in, in verse 40, um, when he, sa- he tells Martha, did I, not, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, now where did Jesus tell Martha that? He, it's either two options. It either happens in chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. That whole dialogue is possible that it takes place in there. But I think we have to rewind all the way back to verse 4. Did I not tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And here's what's, what's fascinating about this promise that Jesus sends with these messengers to Mary and Martha. The promise is very, very ambiguous, cryptic, unclear. Clear, but very unclear. I mean, let's just take this at face value. I think at face value would say that Lazarus is simply not going to die, and that seems to be the promise. But you realize when the servants show back up, Lazarus is already dead. Okay. But I have this promise. And then I have this reality. It's not going to end in death, but my brother's dead. 
There's been a delay in Jesus showing up. So not, now, not only is Lazarus dead, Lazarus is in the process of decay. He's rotting. There's a stench that's going to come out from the grave as they roll away the stone. The reversal of that is so far beyond what Mary and Martha could possibly believe or hope or imagine to be possible. Jesus coming in and reversing rot seems impossible. But in the time as their brother's rotting in a tomb, they have this promise. Notice that the promise does not say, hey, um, so your brother will be in the tomb for four days, and I'll come and raise him. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that at all. And I think you can almost, as Mary and Martha are looking at the circumstances, they would think that that promise must not mean what it said. Maybe it's not true. Um, this to me, and this is important, I think, this seems to be the way of God. J.C. Ryle said this when talking about the promises and the old unfulfilled prophecies of God. He says this, this, promises, unfulfilled prophecies, they're sufficient, they're, they're, it's sufficient for faith to rest upon and to enkindle hope, but sufficient also to make us cry unto God for light. These promises are sufficient for faith to rest upon, to enkindle hope, but also sufficient to make us cry unto God for light. This seems to be the way of God, to give us promises, to give us a sure hope, a good hope, a foundation, something for our faith to cling to and, 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 and dig deep into. But also, not enough to, to, not enough to make us be independent. There are promises that make us cry out to God, plead with God, ask God, do you remember your promises to grow us in our faith, to grow us in our dependence on him, to rid us of our pride, to shape us into the image of Christ? You know, um, I think a promise we're all very familiar with around here is Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good for to them love the Lord, who are called according to his purposes. I've always debated, like, how, how, how graphic, how much do I need to say? But there's moments when you see, when you see a, a father carrying a casket of his son, there's nothing about that that's good. Nothing. No matter how you slice it, no matter how you look at it, no matter how many angles you come at it from, it's not good. And yet we have this promise. A promise that doesn't say clearly how he's going to work that situation out for good. A promise that doesn't tell the child in a, an abusive relationship how he's going to work that situation out for good. To the parents whose kids are hooked on drugs, how he's going to work that situation out for good. We have a promise that are for our faith to rest in, to give us hope and kindle hope, but to make us get on our knees and cry out to God to save, to help, to bring relief. I'll tell you there's no God like our God. Oh, the depth of the wisdom of our God to give us as his people those kinds of promises. 
Um, let's end on a, on, a, on a positive note, shall we? I think we must remember how this, this whole thing ends. And you see how it ends in verse 43 and 44. When Jesus calls out, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus comes out of the grave. Jesus has done what it seems to be impossible. He's overturned decay, overturned our arch enemy is death. And oh, the glory that the Son of God receives. Oh, the glory of God that was on display as death became life. Oh, the joy of a family being reunited. Oh, the praise and the celebration as they run up and hug their brother and they sit down to eat with them. Oh, the thanksgiving that overflows from their heart. And I think if you ask Mary and Martha, they would tell you that those four days of suffering and waiting were not worth comparing to the glory that their eyes saw as Lazarus walked out of the tomb. It is not worth to be compared to the joy that their heart experienced as they watched their brother walk out of the tomb. It is not worth to be compared to the glory and the thanksgiving and the praise that they gave to their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That those four days were not worth comparing to the glory that awaited. The pain of verse 17 is not worth comparing to the glory that they saw in verse 44. And so for those of us in the, tonight who come in here and find yourself in verse 17, believe that verse 44 is coming. But let's not, let's not settle on something temporary and something small, like things being fixed maybe or people getting better, which is good and that would be good, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I'm talking about something that's permanent. Something that's everlasting. A permanent reversal of death and destruction and pain. For those in verse 17, there's questions and doubts and, and all kinds of, I, I get that. But do you believe that verse 44 is coming in a much grander way. No, not, you see, that's what's funny. Lazarus dies again. <laughs> that's weird, and that's no fun. Something much bigger than, that's just a foretaste, just a small glimpse of what awaits us as the people of God. But do you believe that? Do you believe that the present suffering right now is not going to be worth comparing what awaits the glory that our eyes will see the joy that our hearts will explode with yeah being reunited with loved ones and, and yes but seeing Jesus in all of his glory and splendor worshiping him the lamb that was slain on our behalf seeing the one that I was made for will make even the decades of suffering, the decades of suffering, seem light in comparison. I, I think in, in two minutes, in two minutes, if you would ask Mary and Martha, in two minutes after Lazarus walk, walked out, was, 
Can you compare? No. No. And I think of the saints that have gone before us and the suffering that they endured before death. If we were just to ask them right now, what about the decade of suffering, the 12 years of pain? What about it? It's not worth, and it cannot be compared to the glory that's seen right now. And there's greater glory that even awaits as we wait for Jesus to come back. So the people of God, beloved people of God, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, do you believe? It's the same question Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe? And for those who are in the middle of delays and waiting, God loves you. So he's delayed. God has a purpose. So he's delayed. And don't forget the promises. Yeah, they don't really spell out everything, but they're enough for our hope to rest, or our faith to rest in and to kindle hope. Father, there is none like you. And um, the pain that, that you have um, ordained us to walk through is... Um, in the moment, it's very, very hard. And our faith can be shaken. And honestly, Father, in the, in the middle of the pain, we have said things that we're not proud of. We have done things we're not proud of. But we thank you for your revelation and what you've told us in your word. Uh, we, we do. We rest and we are reminded again of your, your everlasting love, your unchanging love, your infinite love for your people, demonstrated as you sacrificed your son on the cross. And we believe, Father, that this is not all that there is. This is not the only reality. This is not even the fundamental reality. What, what, what we await on, we, that, that is real. It's true. It's not fairy tale. It's true. And so would you stir in our hearts tonight, and would you help us to, would you give us the gift of faith? Would you give us eyes to, to see, and, and would you give us uh, a deep and sincere and true hope? Even tonight, would, that, would those things grow? And uh, we love you, we trust you, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we, that, I, that I pray.